did you have certain rules or distinctive practices that became a part of your family DNA? It could be any number of things, good things, bad things, or just silly things. I remember being invited to visit a friend for dinner, and no one spoke a word during dinner. I mean, I tried to talk, I asked a few questions, tried to make conversation, and I got a glare from the father at the table every time I spoke. And my friend finally put his finger to his lips and mouthed, I'll tell you later. It turns out, in their family, no one was allowed to talk at the dinner table. Now, in my family, the family I grew up in, we were allowed to talk at the dinner table. We talked a lot at the dinner table, but we never loaned our cars to anyone outside the family. Never. No one outside our family was ever allowed to drive our family cars. Not sure why. In my family today, Diet Pepsi is not allowed. Well, because real Christians drink only Diet Coke. Although our cafe here at Impact serves Diet Pepsi. And that proves two things. One thing it proves is the pastor doesn't always get his way. And the second thing it proves is at Impact, we will do whatever it takes to attract people who are far from God. Some of it's fun. Sometimes it might be strange. But some of these things become a part of our family DNA. It is who we are. I had serious conversations with my kids about our family rules and who we were as a family. We are kind to each other. We uh, don't let anything except illness get in the way of us honoring Jesus by attending church each week. And even when we're on vacation, we do that. And uh, we get up and we give our seats to people who are older or less healthy than we are in public places. Things like that. And today, as we continue our series, A Word from Jesus, Jesus is going to kind of lay down some family DNA for his children. He's about to say, this is who we are. This is what we do. When we talked two weeks ago about Jesus saying that we must change and become like little children. It was part of Jesus' response to a question from his followers on who was the greatest in the kingdom of God. And I said at the time that it was a discussion the followers of Jesus seemed to have quite a bit. In the passage uh, where we gain our word from Jesus for today, they're talking about it again. But it comes up in a different way. Mark 10 uh, says that the followers of Jesus, that um, James and John, the followers of Jesus, came to Jesus with a request. Now the parallel passage in Matthew chapter 20 says it was the mother of James and John that made the request. But the request listed in Matthew and in Mark is the exact same request. The request was when Jesus was revealed as the Messiah, when he finally let everybody know that he was the Messiah, would he give the places of honor, the place on his right and the place on the left of his throne to James and John, thereby confirming them to be the two greatest followers of Jesus. Now let's pause and let's take a little sidetrack. 
I mean, which is right? Is Matthew right that James and John uh, had their mom come and make the request? Or is Mark right that they personally made the request themselves? Well, honestly, I think they're both right. Uh, there's a few possibilities here. Matthew and Mark record two separate times when James and John tried to claim the title of the greatest disciples. I mean, we know it was discussed on several occasions. The other possibility is their mother came and said, Jesus, my sons and I have a request. Please listen to them and grant their request as a favor to me. And then James and John made the request. I think there is one other possibility. Matthew was actually there when this happened and Mark would have only been told about the event later and Matthew when he wrote it was still kind of upset that they asked and so he's giving an embarrassing detail in effect he's saying they had to have their mommy come and talk to Jesus for them so you can read how Jesus responded to this request later but look at what is recorded in verse 41 of Mark chapter 10. It's also in Matthew chapter 20, verse uh, 24. It says this, When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. The other ten followers of Jesus were indignant. Now think about it. Why? Why were they indignant about what James and John had requested? Well, I think that they were mad that they didn't think of it first. Because the other ten, each of the other ten followers of Jesus, thought that they were the most important follower of Jesus, that they should be in those places of honor, not James and John. Again, this is not the first time they've discussed who was the greatest, and it won't be the last time. In fact, Luke chapter 22 would imply that they were actually arguing about which one of them was the greatest while they were, walked to the upper room just before Jesus washed their feet and just hours before Jesus would be arrested and tortured. But the disciples of Jesus are talking again about who's the greatest. Do you ever hear that discussion around you? I mean, have you ever heard someone at work explaining why they should get more privileges and more money because, after all, they are the greatest, the most important employee? Sports stars and celebrities and politicians seem to want to declare themselves to be the GOAT, which stands for greatest of all time. And in my experience, some followers of Jesus still want to have this discussion children's workers or missionaries or pastors or worship team members might all quietly think that they are the greatest in God's kingdom. So today, our word from Jesus is about this subject. Let's look at this passage from Mark chapter 10. I'll start in verse 41. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. So Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people and the officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant 
And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. The key phrase that we want to focus on today is, but among you it will be different. Now this was not a suggestion from Jesus. This was not a piece of quiet advice. This is Jesus saying, my people will be different. He said, if you follow me, we don't do it the common way. We are different. In fact, it's better translated. This is how the people in the world do it. And Jesus said, not so with you. Not so with you. Jesus is making a command here. He says, it's not going to be that way in my church, in my kingdom, in my family. He says, one of the marks of his family or of his kingdom is that it will be different with us than it is with others around us. So just what does Jesus require us to do differently? Well, first, he requires a different authority structure. A different authority structure. This is the most specific part of what he's calling his followers out on. It seems they have, may have been drawn towards the power and prestige of the rulers around them. Maybe the religious leaders who were wealthy and uh, people gave them great honor as they uh, went about their business. But honestly, it was probably the Roman power structure that seemed new, that seemed attractive to them. They just wanted to be great. They wanted to be powerful. And so they were arguing about which of them was the greatest follower of Jesus. And Jesus says, yeah, that's not going to work. Among you, this whole concept of authority will be different. So what did Jesus have in mind? Well, first he said our authority structure will be bottom up instead of top down. It'll be bottom up instead of top down. Look again at what Jesus said. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. Jesus says, as his followers, we shouldn't try to rise in the ranks. We should move lower, not higher. We should strive to be servants and slaves, not bosses and masters. Instead of looking for opportunities to have privileges and perks, which is what the followers of Jesus were seeking that day, we need to look for opportunities to help people and to meet the needs of other people. Henry Nouwen, an acclaimed psychologist and Catholic minister who taught at prestigious universities like Yale and Harvard, made the choice to finish his working years serving and learning the way of Jesus at a home for severely disabled people. He is an example of a Christ follower in modern America that in the kingdom of Jesus, the way up is the way down. Let me quote him at length. He writes, the compassionate life is the life of downward mobility. In a society in which upward mobility is the norm, downward mobility is not only discouraged, but even considered unwise, unhealthy, or downright stupid. Who freely chooses a low-paying job when a high-paying job is being offered? 
Who will choose poverty when wealth is within reach? Who will choose a hidden place when there's a place in the limelight? Who will choose to be with one person in great need when many people could be helped during the same time? Who will choose to withdraw to a place of uh, solitude and prayer when there are so many urgent demands from all sides? He goes on, my whole life I have been surrounded by well-meaning encouragement to go higher up. And the most used argument was, you can do so much good there for so many people, but these voices calling me to upward mobility are completely absent from the gospel. Jesus says, anyone who loves his life loses it. Anyone who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. He also says, unless you become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Owen goes on in this part to quote the passage that we're looking at today and the lesson that Jesus delivered to his disciples. And then he goes on. This is the way of downward mobility, the descending way of Jesus. It is the way toward the poor, the suffering, the marginal, the prisoners, the refugees, the lonely, the hungry, the dying, the tortured, the homeless, toward all who ask for compassion. What do they have to offer? Not success, popularity, or power, but the joy and peace of children of God. I think we're all born with the desire to be significant. We want to be known. We want to be accepted for who we are. We want to be loved. That's part of what it means to be human. But somewhere along the way, in our brokenness and in our sin, we have been sold the lie that those things happen when we reach the top. That if we're a success, if we become famous, we will be accepted, we will become significant. But Jesus says, no, it will be different with you. It will be different with you. Real significance and acceptance is achieved from the bottom up, not from the top down. It happens when we serve others. Second, Jesus said our authority structure will be me second instead of me first. It'll be me second instead of me first. We talked about this a year or so ago, so I won't spend much time here. But it's a key part of what Jesus asks of us. In a world that says look out for number one and take charge of your life and be true to yourself, Jesus says learn to say I am second. I am second. He said, in my kingdom, if you want to lead, you'd better learn to serve. If you want to be first, you'd better move to the back of the line. Jesus says, in his family, the authority structure is me second instead of me first. And this concept has caught on. In December of 2008, Interstate Battery CEO Norm Miller launched a 36-month ad campaign in the Dallas area, having no idea of the movement that was about to begin. The cam that campaign featuring roadside billboards and videos that can be viewed on IamSecond.com connects anyone anywhere with personal stories of numerous individuals, including celebrities and pastors and athletes and everyday men and women. The inspirational and intimate stories 
express uh, in the videos reveal how the storyteller has been able to overcome addictions and divorce and fame and numerous other life struggles through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ with the speaker wrapping up the video by letting the audience know that they have learned to put God first in their lives and that they have now become second. To be a follower of Jesus, I have to learn that in Jesus' family, I'm second. My needs are second. God is first. Others are first. Look how Paul says it in Philippians chapter 2. He says, when you do things, do, do not let selfishness or pride be your guide. Instead, be humble and give more honor to others than to yourself. Do not be interested only in your own life, but be interested in the lives of others. Not only does Jesus require a different authority structure, but he requires a different attitude. A different attitude. Look back at what Jesus said. Whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is really stepping on toes when he says this. He says, you're worried about being the greatest, but in my family, in my kingdom, you should seek to be the best slave, the one who serves the needs of others better and longer than anyone else. And this will be an ongoing problem. He will address it again with them in the upper room when he washes their feet and says, you need to wash each other's feet. You need to serve, not be served. Can I say gently, this is an area where most Christians in our culture are still struggling. They spend lots of time talking about whether their church is meeting their needs or providing what they want. And many who discuss this spend little or no time serving Jesus through their church or in their community. Can I just say again, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus and you can't identify something that you are doing for others in the name of Jesus that takes hours each month for you to accomplish, you need to change your attitude. You need to hear Jesus say today, among you, it will be different. It will be different. The DNA of Jesus' family requires an attitude that is willing to serve. So what does that mean? It means I have an attitude of sacrificing rights instead of demanding them. Some of you squirmed a little when I said that because it is so un-American. It's so un-American. I've had some discussions with friends and church members recently about how many rights we're giving up during this pandemic. And maybe it's true. I mean, when I focus on my rights as an American, maybe that's true. But you know what? I'm a Christian first and an American second. And ultimately, my primary citizenship isn't here on earth at all. And um, my primary citizenship is in heaven and taking steps to keep others safe and healthy even if I give up my personal rights is exactly something Jesus would do it's exactly what Jesus would do no question about it Jesus would love others by helping them and serving them but this attitude goes beyond our current situation some don't serve Jesus because 
they just don't want to attend two services each week or they don't want to give up an evening at home or many other small reasons. Folks, Jesus gave up his rights. He gave up equality with God and left heaven to come to earth to serve us, to give us what we needed. And I really have not begun to follow Jesus in this area until I give up something, until I sacrifice something, a, a comfort, a convenience, my time, my money to serve Jesus and to give others what they need. Look at what Paul wrote about demanding our rights in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He said, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Demanding your rights isn't always beneficial. It's not always constructive. In Jesus' kingdom, it will be different we don't seek our own good. We seek the good of others. There's another attitude suggested or implied in Jesus' words. I, I think having a different attitude means taking risks instead of playing it safe. Taking risks instead of playing it safe. This isn't obvious in the passage, and maybe I'm stretching it, but Jesus points out his own example in verse 45. He says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to serve. And what sticks out uh, at me is his example of leaving what is safe for him and taking the risk uh, as part of his sacrifice. This is how it's explained in uh, a chapter we quoted earlier, Philippians chapter 2. It says, in your lives, you must think and act like Christ Jesus. Christ himself was like God in everything, but he did not think that being equal with God was something to be used for his own benefit, but he gave up his place with God and made himself nothing. He was born as a man and became like a servant. And when he was living as a man, he humbled himself and was fully obedient to God, even when that caused his death. Death on a cross. Jesus could have stayed in heaven. Jesus could have said, you know, we told them that if they sinned, if they did what we asked them not to, that they would die, that they would be condemned, that they would spend eternity in hell, and they have. So I'm going to stay here. I'm going to enjoy heaven. I'm going to hold on to my equality with God. But that wasn't his attitude. His attitude was and still is, we have to do something to rescue them from their own sin. We have to serve their needs, even if it costs us. And the risk he took was great. I mean, what if no one accepted him? What if no one listened to him or responded to his message? What if everyone stayed lost and on the path to hell? Jesus gave up equality with God literally gave up heaven to come serve us. He took the risk of rejection and heartbreak to serve us. Too many Christians are playing it safe rather than taking a risk. I mean, you probably have someone in your life, in your line of sight that needs Jesus, and you need to talk to them about Jesus, even if it means you have to risk being laughed at or embarrassed. You may know something uh, 
that God wants you to do in serving him, but no one has come and asked you to serve in that area, and you may need to risk the rejection and go to our volunteer director or one of our pastors and say, I have an idea for how I might serve a ministry I might be able to do that will benefit Jesus. One of the risks that we're getting ready to take here at Impact is we're moving towards reopening Impact Kids in a careful and a safe way. We feel like it's time that it's a risk that Jesus would have us take. But that means we need volunteers. We need volunteers to step out of their comfort zone and take the risk of serving again. Please pray with me about this, that we can have the volunteers we need to uh, get as fully back uh, to live services for kids and families as possible. And as part of that prayer, would you pray that God would show you your part, the risk you need to take to serve him in that area. There's one more thing that I think Jesus requires of his people, and that is he requires a different outcome. He requires a different outcome. Again, if you look at verse 45, it says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The outcome of what is different when uh, is the outcome that happens when we are different. In the world, the outcome is what's good. It's what's comfortable for me and my family. It's increasing wealth and increasing comfort. But the outcome Jesus is looking for, the outcome he personally came from heaven to accomplish was ransoming many people. He came to save people from sin to save people from death, to rescue people from eternity in hell. And that's what happens when we're different. That's what happens when we're different. When the authority structure is different and when our attitude is different, people uh, are served by Jesus and they gain the promise of heaven instead of spending forever separated from God. When people claim to follow Jesus and Yet what they're really all about is power and control and money and privileges and fame and so forth. People stay stuck in their cycle of sin. They continue on their way to hell. In fact, they may move faster towards hell because they're so repelled by fake Christians who are just like the people of this world. But when we're different, when we serve and love and give and sacrifice, people are drawn to Jesus. He becomes irresistible because the way of Jesus is different. And when we're different, they see that. And they're drawn not to us, but to him. So today, Jesus is saying to all of us and specifically to you, among you, it must be different. It must be different. You must be different. So I leave you with a question. Are you? Are you different? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, forgive us for the times when we have worked hard to become more and more like the people of this world. Forgive us for the times, Father, when we have tried to 
mold everything we do around the power structures and authority structures of this world. Father, we thank you so much that you have called us not to go higher, but to go lower and to serve. Now, Father, would you help us to be like Jesus, to serve? Father, would you help us to follow your command to be different, different in this authority structure, different in our attitude, so that we can have a different outcome, so that we can see many people drawn towards you because we are different. And we will give you the praise and the honor through Jesus, your son.